Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. I've been having so much fun betting on the NBA playoffs with FanDuel with same game parlays, with live lines. I've even really enjoyed this cash out feature, especially with all these blowouts. If you make a bet and you're in really good shape with the bet and you don't want to lose your winnings over garbage time, you can sometimes cash out and get some of your winnings out easily and not have to take that risk. It's easy to use, it's safe and secure, and you get your winnings fast. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, Dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week. 
Huge win for Boston last night to take a 2-1 series lead in the NBA Finals. Obviously, I went live with Colin Cowherd after the game last night. If you missed any of that, you can find it on the Volumes YouTube channel, which you guys absolutely should subscribe to so you don't miss any more of our content. Or if you can't get on YouTube today, it should be on the Colin Cowherd podcast feed. Couple other notes before we get started. Please follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys can see when I live tweet the games as well as the little clips that I pull and tweet out while I'm doing my film sessions. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you miss a part of this show or any of our shows and you don't have the time to get onto YouTube, you can find these shows in their entirety on my podcast feed, which is under Lakers tonight for the time being on all of your podcast platforms wherever you get your podcast. So let's get started. We're going to get into the weeds today, a bunch of X's and O's, a bunch of adjustments, particularly some adjustments that I think will help Golden State moving forward in this series. I wanted to start tonight, though, with Boston's big adjustment, which I think was an excellent indicator of their defensive versatility and uniquely with their personnel on this roster. There are good and great defenses all around the league, but there are great defenses that rely a lot on scheming and a lot of on effort and focus and attention to detail. And then there are defenses that have that in conjunction with superior personnel down the roster that allows them flexibility to give them more chess moves when they get into series like this. Boston's big adjustment in Game 3 was putting Jason Tatum on Draymond Green. The Warriors were getting fantastic stuff out of the high pick and roll with Draymond and Steph in this entire series. A huge part of that is Al Horford and Rob Williams, when they're in their drop coverage, have been way too low. And as Steph is coming off of these screens, he's getting wide open threes. It's been a huge part of why he's been so successful in this series compared to some of the other stars that have gone against this Boston defense, which is a tactical thing that I disagree with. And even though they made this adjustment... They still dropped way too often with Horford and Rob Williams, and that is something we are definitely going to get into in detail here later on in the show. But early in the game, that initial switch, putting Jason Tatum onto Draymond, allowed them to switch that action. The reason why that's so important is because having Draymond Green in the pick and roll with Steph is a problem for most teams because of how good of a passer Draymond Green is. So if you do something like hedge or drop or anything like that and Steph can hit him with the pocket pass, or if you do a you know a trap, if you're trying to just get the ball out of his hands, Draymond rolling down the middle of the floor, he's just too good of a passer and he can cause big problems for you there. We've talked about it on the show, but Draymond's one of the top 10 assist guys in NBA Finals history in large part because of his ability to work in that spot of the floor out of that particular action. Putting Jason Tatum on Draymond allowed them just to switch it because you trust Marcus Smart on Draymond and you trust Jason Tatum on Steph and it allows them to shut that action down. They still got a lot of good stuff out of drop, but they had to do it with Kevon Looney or with other guards. And as a result, it just made it a little bit harder for Golden State to get into Warriors basketball where you're just seeing the ball just popping around and lots of guys getting wide open layups and dunks and threes and things along those lines. I thought it was a really, really smart adjustment. And once again, It's just an indicator of Boston's defensive personnel and the flexibility that it gives them. Because in order to put Tatum on Draymond, you have to be able to put Al Horford, one of your big men, onto one of Golden State's wings, which is Andrew Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins did hit a tough step-back jump shot over Al Horford early in the game. 
but he didn't have a ton of success attacking Al Horford. And that so that defensive versatility, the ability to put your big on their uh, wing and their wing on your big, gives you just that 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 flexibility. It's a chess move. Again, it's like in these playoff series, it's like you got a hand of cards at the poker table, and you just have more options when you have that type of de- defensive personnel. Meanwhile, we look over at Golden State, and you know the, their big adjustment in Game Two was taking Draymond Green and putting him on Jalen Brown because they literally had to. Because Golden State doesn't have big enough or physical enough wings and guards to contain both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which I have a specific idea that I think might help them there, but I'm going to get to that later on. But that's the difference in that uh, that that flexibility. They had to take Draymond, their best rim protector, a guy who is vitally important because of their lack of perimeter size with what he can clean up on the back end. They had to take him away from the back end and put him guarding someone on the perimeter. Which not only took him and put him in a situation where it was harder for him to help when Jalen Brown is spotting up, but when Jalen Brown is attacking off the dribble like he did early in that game, there's nobody behind Draymond Green to help. And that was my second biggest adjustment from Boston. Jalen Brown's approach offensively. If you guys remember in game two, the very first two touches that Jalen Brown had were catch early in the clock on the left wing, no advantage, no space. Just rise and fire threes. And he made both of them. He was feeling himself. They were beautiful shots. Incredible talent. All of that. But it was bad approach. We talked about this a lot in the last episode of Hoops Tonight. Just, you know, the the separating results from process. Those were beautiful shots from Brown. They added six points in two possessions, which is amazing. But he wasn't being intentional about driving to the basket. Same thing goes for Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum took five pull-up jump shots in game one. He took 11 pull-up jump shots in game two. You should never, under any circumstances, as a big forward with physical advantages like Jason Tatum has, only take 11, or excuse me, take 11 of your shots as pull-up jump shots. That's settling. That is letting the defense off the hook. Both of them, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, were way more intentional about getting into the lane to create those driving kick opportunities in this game. Jalen Brown, early in the game, he uh, uh, is attacking uh, uh, Draymond Green from the top of the key. Derek White is coming over to try to set a pick. and Jalen Brown says, no, get back. Yes, I know I have a better matchup there, but if I get past uh, Draymond, there's no Draymond on the back end. And so what did he do? He backed away to half court, got ahead of steam, and was intentional about taking him to the basket, and he made a layup. Later on, there was a play where Draymond Green kind of, uh, uh, Jalen attacked him in transition, and Draymond blocked him. That Blocked him out of bounds, started talking trash to him. On the very next possession, on the baseline out of bounds, Jalen Brown caught the ball on the right wing, did a hard jab to the right, and then went left, went right around Draymond, and made a left-handed layup going all the way to the rim. He was also, I think he had three assists just in the first quarter. Again, super intentional about putting his head down, getting into the paint, and either finishing with his physical advantages or moving the ball around and getting Boston into their driving kick game, which is where they're so good. It was a, it was a huge adjustment in just the approach that those two guys had as they were going into this game. That initial penetration is vitally important to Boston. 
because guys like Marcus Smart and Derek White and Al Horford are not good enough to just stare straight eye to eye against a good defensive player when they're set with no advantage and create for themselves. But if you get them where the defender is closing out at them, they have an advantage and they do have enough offensive skill to persistently attack and further extend that advantage when they are given that initial advantage. That approach has been a bellwether for this Celtics team this entire season. Did you guys know that when Jason Tatum has at least seven assists, Boston has won 15 consecutive games? That's how important it is for Tatum in particular, but Brown as well, to have that type of offensive approach. Intentional about getting into the lane to collapse the defense so that they can get into their driving kick game. So how can Golden State adjust? So I, the issue here, and I talked about this with Colin last night, is Clay Thompson can't guard Jalen Brown. And he probably can't guard Jason Tatum either. But I do think he has a better chance in that particular matchup. The, it was really cool what Draymond did in Game 2 Uh, going out to the perimeter and shutting down Jalen Brown the way he did. But Jalen Brown exposed that as a limitation. Here's the thing. Draymond Green is one of the best backline defenders in the history of basketball. But on the perimeter, he's just good. He's above average, good defensive player on the perimeter. What he's not is a lockdown perimeter defender. That's no slight to him. There are very few, if any, big guys like guys who play backline defense that are phenomenal perimeter defenders. You're looking at maybe Giannis and maybe Anthony Davis and maybe Rudy Gobert for being really nice. But like I would say Rudy Gobert is even closer to Draymond. Those types of guys, they bring way more value to your defense under the basket than they do on the perimeter. So as, as cool as it was in game two, I don't think it's sustainable. So I suspect... Draymond Green to be back on either Al Horford or on Rob Williams in Game 4. So what do you do with the wing matchups? Well, the reason why Jalen Brown is having so much success against Klay Thompson is Jalen Brown is your textbook. Jacked, big, strong, super quick first step, slashing forward. And he's just not quick enough or big enough or strong enough to survive that matchup. Jason Tatum is much more of a finesse forward. He is still a slasher, and he still will beat Klay Thompson to the basket sometimes. But he plays around with his dribble more, and most importantly, he's skinnier. And Klay Thompson, just like everybody else in this series, will be allowed to play defense using their hands. I think Klay Thompson has a better chance of physically containing Tatum and turning him into a jump shooter than he did against Jalen Brown. So that means I would take Andrew Wiggins and I'd move him over to Jalen Brown. Two twitchy athletes, very similar physical profiles. Andrew Wiggins will have a much better chance containing Jalen than anybody on this Golden State roster. Klay Thompson, I think, has a better chance of containing Tatum than he does at containing Jalen Brown. And then now we're getting Draymond Green back into his natural position as a backline defender. Now, the question becomes, do you put him on Al Horford or Rob Williams? 
I would put him on Rob Williams. Rob Williams hangs out in the dunker spot for the most part or sets high screens. Draymond Green is an excellent screen and roll defender as the big man, and he's one of the best in the league in drop coverage at stunting up to the ball handler to trick them into thinking he's defending, but then getting back to defend the guy in the dunker spot. I would have Kevon Looney stay home on Al Horford, who's going to be roaming around the perimeter more. It's a little bit more difficult because you don't love the idea of positioning Kevon Looney away from the basket, but I think Draymond Green is a better backline defender, better rim protector. That's the way that I would do it. Draymond Green on Rob Williams, Looney on uh, on Al Horford, Wiggins on Jalen Brown, and Clay Thompson on Jason Tatum. It's not perfect. It's not guaranteed to work. But I do think it's a better option than any of the things that they've tried to this point. You are limited in your personnel in this series. Even though you might very well win, and I'm not jumping off the Golden State bandwagon, I picked them in seven, and I I think everything comes down to game four. If Boston wins game four, it's not over, over, but I would give it, a, I would start picking Boston to win the series at that point. If Golden State wins game four with a 2 2 series with two of the last three games on their home floor, I still feel, feel very confident about Golden State winning in seven. So this series is not over, and I am not changing my pick. But through three games, Boston has proven that they have a personnel advantage. Golden State's advantage is up here. It's experience in understanding how to win in these environments. You saw that last night. Boston gave up an 8-0 run in 37 seconds. That's something bad teams do. Boston gave up seven points on a single possession. Stupid drop coverage against Steph Curry where Al Horford had a late contest and committed a foul. And then they ran a drop coverage on Klay Thompson on a baseline out of bounds after the flagrant foul call. And he came off free and cleared, knocked down a three. That is bad defense. That's what inexperienced undisciplined teams do in 37 seconds in one possession, uh, literally a, uh, a 15 point swing. So I'm not off of golden state by any stretch of the imagination, but make no mistake. Boston has the personnel advantage to this point. They've demonstrated that clearly they have more flexibility. They have better two way players than the golden state warriors do. One last adjustment for golden state I think they need to continue to run as much pick and roll in po- as possible, getting Boston's bigs in the action, either off ball with like dribble handoffs or, or, or pin downs, or uh, uh, off ball with the pin downs or on ball with the dribble handoffs for the high screen and roll. The main reason why is Boston's demonstrated that Rob Williams and Al Horford will come high to the level of the screen and do a better job of contesting in their drop when the game's in the balance. They've been fantastic in the fourth quarter. We'll get to that in a little bit. But for the most part throughout the game, they're sitting too low. And Jordan Poole, Steph, and Clay are getting fantastic looks against that drop coverage. And so what I would do if I was Golden State is continue to run that because particularly when they get fatigued, and you saw this a lot with Al Horford last night in the late third quarter, as he started to get tired, his drop fell further and further back. On the last three that Steph Curry made to make it 83-82 and give Golden State the lead, Al Horford was damn near at the free throw line in his drop. And Ime Udoka immediately subbed him out to get him some rest. But that's your best bet if you're Golden State. Capitalize on Boston's stupid coverage that they keep running for whatever reason. Continue to go at those guys until they get fatigued because as they fatigue, they sit further back. And that's your option to get, that's your best chance to get those clean looks out of screen and roll. It's just, it's, I would spam that action every time down the floor. But I, I did want to talk about this Boston drop coverage thing because if you guys, for those of you who have been following the show since before this series, you remember in my series preview, this was my biggest concern for Boston. They ran it in the regular season 
on everything. Dribble handoffs, pin downs, and high ball screens. If Al Horford or Rob Williams was in the action, they were dropping. I thought it was crazy. I even said in my in my breakdown that I thought it would be suicide for Boston to attempt to do this. And it hasn't beaten them yet, but it damn sure came close. Because it was them barbecuing the drop coverage that allowed Golden State to get back into that game in that third quarter. I'm sure you guys saw J.J. Redick tweet out, this has become, you know, obviously I've been on this for weeks, but this has become a huge story in this series. J.J. Redick tweeted out through two games of the finals. So through game one and game two, Steph Curry was scoring 1.7 points per possession against Boston's drop coverage. Guys, that's a 170 offensive rating. That's an outrageous number. I just simply don't understand why they're do- why they're doing it. Don't get me wrong. Just like it is with every great player in the league. It's like if I asked you how to guard LeBron James, I, there's not a good option. He's going to beat you in drop coverage. He's going to beat you if you switch. He's going to beat you if you trap. The same goes for Steph. The same goes for all of the greatest players in the game. But there's usually a better option against each guy, right? So for instance, teams have figured out LeBron AD pick and roll. We're going to switch it. Because usually it's like size because they're two big guys, and at least then we commit to isolation, even though LeBron is probably going to take your big guy off the bounce or Anthony Davis is going to take your little guy into the post. But that's just a better option than some of the other things. that If you run drop coverage against LeBron and AD, LeBron's going to pick you apart with pocket passes and lobs to AD or dunk on you himself all night long. And the same thing goes for Steph. If you switch it, he's going to attack your big guy off the bounce in all likelihood, right? If you run drop coverage, he's going to pull up threes all night long. If you come high on the screen, in the, if you run drop coverage at the level of the screen, he's going to hit pocket passes all night long to the Draymond Greens of the world, and they're going to make plays. If you trap him, it's going to be the same thing. So there is no good option, but anything is better. The worst option is running a low drop so that the best shooter to ever touch a basketball can come off of these ball screens wide open every single time. And again, this is the key difference, because you're seeing there's some contest there. You know, Marcus Smart and Derek White are fighting over the top of the screen, and they're applying some back pressure, you know, contesting from behind. And Al Horford and Robert Williams are getting late contests. After Steph is already rising up, they're coming up and putting a hand up. But for all of you who are listening who are, who are good shooters... If you're a good shooter, you understand. If you get into your shot and you get your release off, the contest means nothing. It doesn't bother you at all. The only thing that bothers a shooter is being in his airspace, in front. Meaning like as you're gathering up into your shot, you're disrupting the ball during the gather. Or you're paranoid about your feet because the guy's up in your airspace. Those are the o- That's the only way to bother a great shooter is to bother him before he gets up into his release. So you can trick yourself watching the tape like, oh, Steph's hitting contested threes over the top. But no, he's not. He's hitting threes over late contests with minimal back pressure. And as a result, he's just, he's the, he's the best shooter of all time, so he's going to make them. I I just simply don't understand why through three games, despite everything that happened, that that continues to be their approach. That's how Clay got going. Clay got going against drop coverage. Again, drop coverage is not just a pick and roll coverage. They run variations of drop coverage against off-ball screens. Just imagine, here comes, you know, 
Kevon Looney down the floor. Rob Williams is on it. Kevon Looney sets a pin down for Clay Thompson in the corner. Rob Williams is sitting way back on the block. So whoever's guarding Clay Thompson, let's say it's Derek White or let's say it's Jason Tatum or whoever it is, Rob Williams or uh, Kevon Looney sets a good physical screen because this is a physical series and they're letting a lot of physicality go. The guy's getting caught on the screen. Clay Thompson is coming off open. He's coming off open. Rob Williams is not doing anything in that drop. Now, to their credit, in the fourth quarters of this series, when the game's been close enough, they have brought that drop way up higher. And when they've brought that drop up higher, because this is the thing, guys, in order to get that clean look off of a ball screen or a pin down, you have to catch the defender on the screen. And the only way to catch the defender on the screen is to curl it a little bit. Because if you go parallel to the screen, then a good lock and trail defender is just going to be right behind you the whole way. But if you curl around the screen, you give your screener a chance to just kind of stick his shoulder out a little bit just as you're curling and get caught. The, the ball handler has to come around the screen just a touch. So if your pick and roll defender is up higher... He doesn't have to be all the way up, but if he's up higher, then when that guy curls around, he will curl around and see Rob Williams in his airspace or see Al Horford in his airspace. Then he will be dissuaded from shooting that shot and maybe try to back it out and do something else. But they're only doing that in the fourth quarter to this point, which again, it's worked. You're up to one. But my concern is there's a version of this story where Golden State makes a couple more of these shots or maybe you don't make as many of yours and you don't have an opportunity to be in the game at the end. I'm not a big... And most importantly, Klay Thompson got going. Klay Thompson started making tough shots later in the game. The last shot Steph Curry made was an impossible step back over Grant Williams on a switch. But he made that because he got going. He got his confidence in his rhythm against your drop coverage. Klay Thompson got going and got his confidence in his rhythm against your drop coverage. I, I just I just don't understand it. I, there were a couple plays with Klay Thompson where, Andrew, uh, where uh, Jason Tatum's guarding Draymond Green and he's dropping way back. And Marcus Smart was ducking under picks. He was ducking under picks on Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson got two wide open threes in this game and made both of them against Marcus Smart ducking under picks with, with Jason Tatum, whoever it was, dropping off the ball. It's just inexcusable for one of the best defenses that I've ever seen, especially against a guy like Clay, who's not exactly slashing to the rim all game long. So, what I would do if I was Boston, now you guys know how I feel. If you've listened to my show before, you know how I believe in switching. I don't care if Steph makes a tough step back three over Grant Williams. He's going to make a bunch of those. He's one of the best players in, to ever play the game of basketball. But it's a lot harder. It takes a lot more effort to get enough separation. It's fatiguing. And most importantly, it stagnates their offense. So that's the approach that I would take. I don't think Boston's going to do that. What I expect them to do is to continue to drop. And if that's the case, you have to drop higher. Your defender has to be up at the level of the screen if you're going to have any chance. If they do that in game four, if they drop at the level of the screen, I think they will have their first game in this series where they can where they get all of the Splash Brothers to play poorly. But I, I just, I, f I figured they would have learned that lesson in game one. <laughs> I thought they would have learned that lesson in game one. They didn't. I thought they would learn that lesson in game two. They didn't. And they got burned by it in game three again. It just didn't cost them the game. So I expect that to keep going, which is why, like I said, for Golden State as an adjustment, I want to see them continue to spam that pick and roll as much as humanly possible 
and continue to fatigue Al Horford and Rob Williams and try to get them to the point where they continue to drop further and further back. All right, I wanted to talk about the fourth quarter for a minute because the fourth quarters in particular are starting to become a little bit of an issue for Golden State. Now, in game two, the game was basically over, right? Like the, the Warriors sealed that deal in the third quarter and the fourth quarter was irrelevant. But in 18 minutes of this series, with Steph Curry on the floor in the fourth quarter, the Warriors have a 75 offensive rating. And the Boston Celtics have a 167 offensive rating. Again, that's 18 minutes of fourth quarter basketball with Steph Curry on the floor in this series. Cannot get a stop. Cannot score the basketball. A plus 94 net rating for Boston in those minutes. Outscoring the Warriors by basically a point per possession. It's insane. It's become a huge problem. So why? Why is it becoming a huge problem? Well, first of all, to all the criticism I just levied on Boston and Ime Udoka for their drop coverage, their, their drop coverage has been really, really good in the fourth quarters of this series. Rob and Al Horford finally come up to the level of the screen. They dissuade those easy pull-ups. You, uh, every, every Boston guard and wing is fighting harder to get over the top of the screens. Tatum and Brown in particular were flying around making plays. There was a massive block from Jalen Brown on Clay Thompson where Clay got a step on him and, and uh, Jalen just had an outrageous recovery defense play to block him out of bounds. Jason Tatum had a play where he was, uh, um, I believe he was guarding Steph, if I remember correctly, but he was off ball. And he noticed that Clay was coming off of an off-ball screen and the drop was too low. Rob was way out of the play on this one. He was down almost by the, by the charge circle. I think he was helping on a different rotation before that play. Tatum read that play and abandoned his man just as Clay was going up into his shot and got a late contest and forced Clay Thompson into a funky release that he ended up missing. That's that athleticism from Tatum and Brown when they're really flying around that can be such a problem. That in conjunction with the bigs being up higher, Marcus Smart doing a great job on Steph at that initial defense, just making things difficult for him to get into his spots, made it really difficult for Golden State to score. It's been it's been really really fascinating, and most importantly, Jason Tatum finally got going. I was watching the tape today. I went on with Colin last night. And I was like, "Oh yeah, Tatum kind of got going, made a couple layups in that fourth quarter." I, again, I I was underselling that. When I went back and looked at the tape, Jason Tatum was magnificent in that fourth quarter on both ends of the floor. It was the first stretch of this series where I thought he played better than Steph Curry. He was better than Steph in that fourth quarter. Now, some of that is Steph. Steph had a Steph had a rough fourth quarter, guys. He had three awful turnovers during a run that put Boston up by 12. He had a play where he was running high pick and roll and tried to throw a pocket pass and threw it right into Marcus Smart's hand. It led to a run out. Next possession down the floor, he tried to throw a pocket pass to Draymond but threw it like at his knee, like way too low. And Draymond reached down to try to catch it and fumbled it. Boston went down again. They actually ended up getting a stop on that one. Steph got the rebound and threw the ball away on a full court outlet pass that Rob Williams took away, uh, took a, a, a stole. And Boston went down and scored, called a timeout. They're up 12 games basically over. Now, Steph has been magnificent in this series. He's been by far the best player. But he wasn't good enough in that fourth quarter. It was the first time Tatum outplayed him, and they lost an opportunity to win a game on the road when they went into the fourth quarter only down four. And that's something that might end up haunting them later on in this series. But Tatum, 
just relentless getting into the basket, driving and kicking to players. He had eight points and two assists in the quarter, but he had a couple of hockey assists as well where he created that initial advantage and swung the ball around. He was attacking Steph Curry on switches almost every time down the floor. And Golden State either was having to scram double Steph out of the of the uh, uh, out of that matchup, or Tatum was going right around him. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage. The cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. For layups and kickouts for threes, it was a huge problem for Golden State in that quarter. That con- combination of Tatum outplaying Steph in that quarter, Steph throwing the ball all over the place, turning it over, Boston's bigs being higher in their drop, Tatum, Brown, and Smart flying around making defensive plays led to what has been two through three games, an incredibly dominant performance from Boston in these fourth quarters. Again, in the fourth quarter of this series, fourth quarters of this series, with Steph Curry on the floor, the Warriors are getting outscored by 94 points per 100 possessions. Just insane. One last note before I get into... Uh, 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 so the, I'll just rip through the adjustments real quick and then I have one last note on Golden State's personnel. Uh, you guys know I like to trash uh, track uh, half-court offense. It's, it's a great stat that I can get from cleaning the glass. It's To me, it's the best indicator of your ability to score in a static environment when you're not just gifted advantages. So coming into game three, so through the first two games of the series, the teams were pretty even in their half-court offense, both scoring just under one point per half-court possession, right around 98 offensive ratings. But in game three, Boston's offensive rating in the half-court, 114.1, Golden State's 94.8. So through two games, that static environment... Staring each other eye to eye, no advantages, just your defense versus my offense, who can score? 
Boston dominated game three after the first two games were dead even. That that once again scares me if I'm a Golden State fan. You know, and, and this comes down to... I talked about this a little bit with Colin last night, but I wanted to dig a little bit further into it today. Joe Lacob took a victory lap before the finals. Went in a press conference and was like, oh, we were under all this pressure to trade people. You know, everyone was saying we should... We should have traded our pieces. Look at us now. We're in the finals. And we got Steph Clay and Draymond and Andrew Wiggins. And we've got these young kids that are all really good. Jordan Poole, great player. Jonathan Kaminga looks like a better version of Jeff Green to me in the future. You know, Moses Moody, textbook 3 and D player. James Wiseman, who the hell knows what he's going to be, but he's probably going to be pretty good at least. You know, he's a number two overall pick. He might not be an all-star, but he's probably going to be on the low end, a very good two-way center, right? They've got all those young guys. Here's the problem. How many of them are playing in this series? Jordan Poole. That's it. So you're, you basically have your, your future, your trade assets, whatever you want to call them, are useless in this series. And I would argue, and any Golden State fan being truly honest with themselves would agree with me, Golden State has a personnel disadvantage in this series. I, I thought it was so bizarre that he took that victory lap. No one, no, one on the, no one on the Warriors was worried about you guys beating the Mavericks. Now, I know I picked the Mavericks. I had no idea what was going to happen in that series. You guys heard me. I said I had no good feel for it. I leaned slightly toward Dallas because I thought their driving kick game and Luka as a matchup would cause them problems. I was wrong. But you Golden State fans were supremely confident against Dallas. You were not worried about them. So I didn't understand the victory lap. No one was worried about whether or not you'd be able to beat Dallas. Boston is a much better team than Dallas. We all knew it before this series even started. We all knew it before the conference finals even started. We knew Boston was the best team in the Eastern Conference. And we knew they would be the biggest challenge for Golden State. You took a victory lap, uh, Joe Lacob, about your personnel. And now you don't have enough personnel. You guys, uh, you've, you've heard me talk about this when I was covering the Lakers. When I would talk about how they needed to trade Taylor Horton Tucker for another piece. You've heard me talk about it recently when I talk about how they need to trade their first round draft picks this summer. Even if they have to attach them to Russ. I am a huge believer in pushing your chips into the middle of the table. Why? Because it's really difficult to win an NBA championship. These margins are razor thin. You might lose to Boston in six or seven games where if you had traded James Wiseman or one of Wiseman and Kuminga and a draft pick or or whatever it is, in salary filler, if you would have traded those guys for a Bradley Beal or a Jeremy Grant or some sort of, like, of course they'd be overpaid. Of course they'd be in a smaller role. They're not going to be able to produce for you the same way they would on their own team. But that might be the difference between you losing to Boston in six or seven games or you beating Boston in six or seven games. And I thought the goal of this to w- was to win an NBA championship. I just didn't... I <clears throat> Again... I'm not even necessarily saying I disagree with the strategy. I just was confused by the victory lap. I I, I didn't understand why Joe Lacob, before he had the trophy, wanted to be like, look at me, guys. I did the right thing. And and this this is the last thing I'll say about it. Steph Curry is a top 10 basketball player to ever play in the NBA. That's why you're in the NBA finals right now. 
He's been the second best player in this entire playoff field behind Giannis. That's why you're in the finals. There is no guarantee. I would argue it's statistically improbable that Jonathan Kaminga or James Wiseman or Moses Moody or Jordan Poole will amount to being a top 10 player in NBA history. That, that's the catastrophic mistake here. Yes, you have young talent in the pipeline. They might all be all-stars, but they might also never... It's also possible that none of them are all-stars. It's a gamble. You don't know. It's up to player development and their, the psychology of those guys and how committed they are to the work. So I just, in general, I just, I just was confused by that approach. This is what I, why I keep saying this with the Lakers this summer. I would cash in those draft picks. Steph Curry and LeBron James are two of the 10 greatest basketball players to have ever played the game. You are not guaranteed to get another one of those guys. You might never get one. If you do, it's probably 10, 20 years from now because they're once in a generation type of players. Those are the guys who get all the trophies. Those guys have combined for seven trophies in the last decade. Seven, I think seven of the last 11 trophies went to those two guys. So if you don't have one of those guys, you might, you're probably not going to win. So you need to commit to now. You need to commit to Steph Curry. Because he's the guy that's going to get you the trophy. You are far, far, far more likely to get a trophy with Steph Curry and trading your pieces right now than you are to straddle both lines or to lean heavily into the future. I, I just, I just, I disagree with the approach, and I certainly don't understand. I think it's a defensible approach, even though I wouldn't do it. But I very much, I very much uh, was confused by Lakeup taking the victory lap the way that he did. All right, before we get out of here tonight, I wanted to take a couple minutes really quickly to just rip through the adjustments I expect from both teams in Game 4. Let's start with Boston. On every dribble handoff, every wide pin down, every high ball screen, either switch it or have Allen Rob in their drop way higher because you cannot let the two greatest shooters to ever touch a basketball continue to get these clean looks running free and clear off of screens. That's just suicide. And lastly, show Jason Tatum the stat I showed you guys earlier. The Celtics have won 15 consecutive games when Tatum has at least seven assists. His approach needs to be that of a playmaker and not a guy who is hunting his own shot. That's how they play into their strengths rather into their weaknesses. For Golden State, switch Andrew Wiggins onto Jalen Brown. He has a great physical profile to be able to contain that matchup in a way that nobody else on the Golden State roster can. And most importantly, Klay Thompson has a much better chance of defending Jason Tatum than he does Jalen Brown. I know that sounds crazy, but it's about the physicality. Tatum's a little thinner. He's not as quick. He plays around with the ball more. And most importantly, the refs are letting you play physical in the series. Klay using his hands to play defense will have a better chance containing Tatum than he does Brown. And most importantly, that gets Draymond Green back into backline help. He is a mu- he's arguably the best help defender in this era. He's much more valuable to the Golden State defense there than he is containing Jalen Brown on the perimeter. Also, continue to spam high pick and roll against Al Horford and Robert Williams because as they fatigue, they drop further and further back in their drop coverage, and that is your best chance to get quality looks for Steph and Clay in this series. And last but not least, if you need an influx of athleticism and you need to tap into your bench, just play Jonathan Kaminga. 
You can, on defense, unleash him in an on-ball role like on Jason Tatum so you don't have to worry about him getting lost in help side as a young kid. And then on offense, just play him with experienced high IQ lineups. Play him with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. On the offensive end, they will make things easier for him and simplify things for him. I think that's the best chance for Golden State if they need to bring athleticism onto the floor to better compete with the physical mismatches that Boston brings to the table. All right, so... If I had to make a pick, I see this game as a coin flip, and I have Golden State winning in seven, so I would pick Golden State by a hair, but I do not feel good about it. I do think Boston is a better basketball team in terms of overall talent. They just, you know, I expect them, as they've done throughout this playoff run, to come out unfocused and to make a lot of mistakes in game four and for Golden State to make them pay for it. But it's a very possible outcome that Boston comes out and finally puts a couple of good performances together and takes a 3-1 lead in this series. As a better, I would be on Golden State because since I see the game as a coin flip, you're getting odds on the money line with Golden State and you're getting points on the spread with Golden State. So that's where I'd be if I was a better. But who knows? This is the game that determines the series. If Golden State wins, I think they end up winning in seven. If Boston wins, I think they end up winning in five or six. So this is the pivotal game that will determine the outcome of the series. That's all I have for you guys tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. We will be back with our normal Hoops Tonight post-game show on Friday. So I hope to see you guys there. I'm looking forward to it. As always, I appreciate you guys rocking with us, and I will see you tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see... See what music does to people. 
it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.